Well, good morning. What? <laughs> good morning. Let's all stand together, everyone, if you would, and worship with me this morning. Sing, lift your voice. You're going to have to sing loud. Amen. Can you do that? Sing. with me this morning. How many of you are singing as loud as you can? That's what I thought. Me and Nelson and Clayton. All right, come on. Rear back. Look up. We got words up here. You don't need to look down. Look up, okay? Look up. We're singing about victory in Jesus. Have you got that? Amen. All right, as loud as you can. Let's sing it out this morning. All right, come on. I heard
amen, amen. Well, you can grab a seat real quick. It's so good to see you here at Airline this morning. I know it's kind of a wet and rainy day, but so glad you are here as we gather together to worship. And so you probably noticed that things look a little bit different. We've had some water leak issues this week. So if you need to use the restroom, there's the ones in the foyer right out there. Those are working and fully operational. And the ones back behind us in this hallway are operational as well. And so if you need to use the restroom, uh, use those two. If you go to another one, you're not going to have water in those restrooms. It's just going to be an awkward situation all around. Um, and so, but so glad you are here today. And then as well, you've probably noticed it looks a little bit different. Uh, we have VBS this week. And so we are so excited. Mandy and, and the team has done a fantastic job getting everything set up. Can we let them know how much we appreciate them and all the work they put into it? With that being said, we are excited. Uh, just in this past week, we have almost tripled in pre-registrations for VBS. And so if you were on the fence, yeah. And so if you were on the fence about possibly helping out with VBS, I know that you could be put to use this week. And so if you would just see Mandy right after church and um, let her know, she'd be more than happy to plug you in somewhere this week. And so we're excited, excited about what God is going to do. Now this afternoon, we're still monitoring the weather, looking at the radar for our kickoff party. We're still going to have something here at 5.30. So whether we can go outside and do the games or whatever, um, still be prepared. We're still going to kick off VBS this evening at 5.30. It may look a little bit different than having jump houses and water slides outside. Um, I don't think we'd be allowed to have water slides out if it's lightning. Um, and so we'll move some stuff inside and kind of tweak some things. But regardless, we're going to kick off VBS this evening at 5.30. And so with that being said, we, we've got a lot of things to, to pray for this morning. As you notice, Mike is leading worship. Um, this is not Quez, in case you were confused. Uh, Mike's leading worship for us this morning. Quez had a um, tragic death in the family this week, and so he's at a family funeral today. And so be in prayer for him. And then, of course, if you haven't heard, Miss Kathy um, Conley passed away this week. And so be in prayer for Doyle and their family. And then we've got a lot to pray for as a church with just VBS coming up, praying for our volunteers, as well as praying we resolve this whole water leak situation. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go off script a little bit. Is that okay? And what we're going to do is we're just going to gather around this altar, gather where you are. And instead of just talking about prayer, we're just going to pray. So that's how we're going to start off worship this morning. Let's just gather together and pray. So if you're more comfortable where you're seated, stay there. If you're more comfortable coming up to this altar or one of these front pews, then come up here. And we're just going to spend a few moments in prayer together, lifting those things up. We got a lot to pray for as a church. And so we want to pray together. And so I encourage you to come down, gather around this altar or wherever you're seated. And we're just going to spend a few moments. Miss Janice is going to kind of lightly play on the piano while we pray. And then after a few moments, I'm going to ask Chad Henderson if he'll voice our prayer for us. If you want to grab one of those mics to lift up that prayer. 
So for just a few moments, we're gonna start off worship praying together as a church body. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. God, we just are so thankful for, uh, God, your, your wonderful, magnificent mercy. And God, we, uh, we look around and we see the things here, these uh, decorations. And God, this represents an opportunity to, to share your love uh, with, with people in our community, not just the children, but the families. And God, we just ask you that we would take that seriously. And uh, God, we'd have a a lot of fun this week with uh, VBS, but God, we would keep in mind uh, the internal perspective of, of making sure, Lord, that we share your love and, and share your plan of salvation every chance that we get. God, we do pray for our brother Quez uh, this morning. Um, Lord, we just ask you that you would touch his family and uh, help them to feel your presence. We pray for Doyle. Uh, Lord, and, and just uh, his family, God, he's meant so much to so many for so long. And, and God, we just ask you that um, you would just bless him and his family. And thank you for the ministry that Kathy shared with him throughout uh, his um, time in the ministry. Now, Lord, we just pray that you will, uh, God, make your presence known through Mike this morning and in worship and and Zach, just pour out, God, your spirit on him to, to lead us and to have him say exactly what it is you would want him to say, Lord. Now we just ask you all these things in your holy name. Amen.
Thank you so much, God, for this wonderful time together. Lord, thank you for this time that we had in prayer. And Lord, as we lift up all of those needs and those things, God, let us never forget that there's nothing that's too great, too impossible, too big, Father, for you to take care of. Lord, we lean on you for guidance, for wisdom. And God, we just look forward to great things happening this week. So God, we just pray you'd be with us and help us in everything that we do, that you be honored, you be glorified in everything that's done. As we receive the word this morning, God, pray to be with Zach as he stands and preaches to us, God, from this powerful book. Lord, you, you guide us. You open our hearts and our minds to what you'd have us to do that would draw others to you and would bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Aren't you glad that he lives today? 
So because he lives, that's the reason why anything that we do has purpose and meaning. Could you imagine if Christ was still in the tomb, what we just did was pointless and meaningless. If Christ was not alive and well today, then what's the purpose in gathering together to sing? If Christ were not alive and well today, what is the purpose in gathering together to break open his word? But he is alive and he is well today and he is firmly seated upon his throne. He's not caught off guard, he's not taken aback, but he's firmly seated. Book of Haggai, chapter number two. And as we've worked through this the past couple of weeks, we've seen really the introduction to Haggai is God really calls out the people for their misplaced priorities, that they've placed priorities on something else other than worship. They've placed priorities on other things other than rebuilding the temple and restoring their worship of their creator, God. They've placed priorities on something else. And it's like we've talked about every week. It's not that they weren't going to do it. They just weren't doing it then. They said, it's just not yet time. And God says, well, you've, you found time for all of these other things. And you've noticed that it's not working in your life. And then we saw last week that they begin to rebuild the temple. The people obey. And what does God tell them? I'm with you. And so as we begin today, most commentators agree that probably likely the context of what's going on here is that the people are beginning to get discouraged in the process. And they're growing discouraged because part of it was they're looking back on the former temple. And they remember their former worship. They remember their former temple. And so they're sitting there looking at this construction project and some discouragement is beginning to set in. And as I just thought about that this week, I I, I just kind of reflected on the phrase, the good old days. How many of us are aware of the good old days? And we say that because we, all of us have a period in our life where we would say this was the good old days. That we look back on with some sense of nostalgia. Maybe life was simpler back then or life was less stressful back then. But those were the good old days. And we all have them. It's been interesting just kind of the past couple of years I've been able to kind of reconnect and spend some time with some of the guys I used to play football with down at Troy. And we'll get together and we'll reflect on the quote unquote good old days. So we'll get together and we'll share stories about a road trip that we made or that time we played in the big SCC stadium or whatever the case may be, or some of the antics we got into on campus that I can't disclose information about. And we'll laugh and we'll cut up and we'll talk about the good old days. But Clint, here's what's interesting when we talk about the good old days. We don't talk about the 5 a.m. workouts. We don't talk about the summer conditioning where we lost our breakfast and our lunch and the dinner from the day before 
during summer conditioning. We don't talk about waking up on Sunday mornings feeling like you got hit by a Mack truck and had to go to the training table to get fixed up. Why? Because the good old days are deceptive. We will maximize what was good in the good old days, and we will minimize what was bad or distasteful in the quote-unquote good old days. And we do this. I mean, just think about it's crazy where Whitney and I are at. We've, we've got an almost two-year-old. And we'll look back on pictures when she was this sweet little newborn. And then we'll look up from the picture and there will be this toddler terrorizing everything in the house. We'll look back on those sweet pictures. We'll go, those were the good old days when she just kind of napped and fell asleep on your chest. And now she's jumping off the couch to put an elbow into your rib cage. We go, those were the good old days. But we don't talk about the good old days with, you know, being sleep deprived at 2 a.m. trying to feed a newborn. Those don't enter into the equation. We don't talk about the good old days of reaching in to get the baby out of the car seat and feeling something warm and moist. Those don't factor into the equation of the good old days. Why? Because we maximize those good memories and minimize those bad ones. Like even just this week, Friday, it, uh, it, it was, as you can probably guess, it's been a long week. And Friday rolls around and there, there was a few days this week, Whitney came up to help with setup. And so Sophia was in my office and my office looked like a tornado went through. Like it literally looked like someone took a bag of Cheez-Its, crushed it up and threw it everywhere. Cause that's literally what happened. And so Friday, I'm just gonna be honest, like I, I, was, I was frustrated, I was tired. I'm sitting there looking around at my office going, I can't leave until I get all this cleaned up. And so I'm sitting there picking up crayons, picking up Minnie Mouse stickers off the floor, trying to wipe down where she's taking crayons to the bookshelf and all of that stuff and vacuuming up the Cheez-Its. And I've been thinking through this already and the realization set in on me, Mike, I'm not going to remember this. I'm not going to remember the frustration of cleaning this up. Why? Because the day is going to come when many mouse stickers won't be there. And I'm going to look back on those joyous things. I'm going to look back on the toddler's smile when they destroyed the office. Why? Because the good old days are deceptive. And we all have this tendency, and we could even do this in the life of a church, can we not? We can all look back and maybe there's a time period in church life where we said to go, these are the good old days and we will maximize everything that was good. And we'll kind of brush to the side those bad or those difficult moments. And that's really what's happening in the life of Israel now. They're reflecting back on the glory of the former temple but they're, they're missing all the difficult things that went on in the midst of that time period. They're missing all the turmoil that was taking place. They're missing the fact that they may have had a temple, but they really weren't worshiping God. 
but the former temple was glorious. Those were the quote unquote good old days. So let's see what is going on in Haggai chapter 2. It says this, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong. O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we give you this time. We've given you all of this time, God. This is all about you. And so God, would you speak to us today through your word and your word alone God, help us to make much of you. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we can see here, going back up to verse number one, we see the problem of the present. The problem of the present. We have this time frame again, the seventh month on the 21st day of the month. And so literally less than two months has passed since the people are like, we're going to rebuild the temple. And in two months' time, doubt and discouragement has set in in the minds of the people. Less than two months. It's not even like this is a year down the road. They're only two months in, and there's already discouragement beginning to abound in their lives to the point where God has to step back in and through Haggai speak to the people. It says, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Now, from this point to when the temple was destroyed was roughly 66 years. So he's in there, who's left among you 
who saw the house in its former glory. So what, what does that mean? That those who had actually physically seen the house, had physically seen the temple, they're up in age now. They're getting older. And so while they may have seen the temple in its former glory, that was 60 some odd years ago, closer to 70 years ago that they saw it. And then you have the younger generation who they, they never saw it. All that, they, all that the younger generation, anyone under 66 years old, all that they have known is Babylon. All that they have known is captivity and exile. That's all they've known. And so what do they have? All they have are the stories that they've heard of the temple. Now, you know how, I know this is anachronistic, but you know how church people can be. We don't lie about things, but we can embellish things, can we not? There's a reason why when you say ministerially speaking, the numbers increase. Right? So ministerially speaking, we had this many people in life groups. Now, realistically, it's probably half of that. Well, that's all these people have, are just what they have heard about the temple. What they have heard about what the former glory of the temple was like. Now, there were some in the midst that they had seen it and they were a part of it, but that was a long time ago. They've slept a few times since then. They've ate a few times since then. So where's the discouragement setting in that they've, the, everyone on the other side of that, they've heard the stories, and everyone on the other, older side of that, they've seen it, and they're sitting there looking at the ruins that they are trying to rebuild, and it seems like an impossible task. Could you imagine the discouragement, the doubt that begins to set in? Well, I heard stories about the temple, and th this isn't looking like it. I remember in my younger years going to the temple, and this is what it was like, and we're nowhere close to that. Just looking at, and I don't know where they're at in the process, maybe a few rocks and a few two-by-fours going, is this really it? This isn't, this isn't what we had planned this isn't what we had envisioned. This isn't what we thought it would be. So he asked, who among you has seen the glory of the former temple? He says, how do you see it now? Is it nothing in your eyes? Just think about the gravity of this question that God asked his people. You're sitting here looking at a temple that is in ruins. And a few pieces of wood are up, some stones are laid out. And he goes, how do you see it now? Is it nothing? Is it meaningless? 
Is it of no value because it's just in the process? You see, here is the problem of the present for the people of Israel. The good old days were of more value than the days to come. They were looking back on the former temple, going, this, it was great, it was glorious, it was majestic, and they were seeing the studs and going, there's no way we get back to that. Instead of looking at the studs and going, we're going a lot further than that. That's the problem with the present. In their minds, the good old days were better than what God had for them in the days to come. And if we're honest, we can wrestle with the same things. We can believe personally that I've peaked, that God may have used me back then, maybe God had a plan for my life back then, but I'm here now. What about in the life of a church? In the life of a corporate body of believers? Do we look back and go, man, that's when God really used us. Instead of looking at the studs, going, God has great plans for this now and for days to come. What do you see when you look at it? Is it nothing to you? So we see the problem of the present. But then secondly, we move from the problem to the provision for the present. Verse 4 says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. He commands them to be strong. Why? Why does God have to command them to be strong? Because he knew that the task that was in front of them would be difficult and wearisome and tiresome, that it wasn't an easy task. Like you don't have to be strong to go eat an ice cream cone. You don't have to be strong to go to CeCe's Buffet. Maybe you do. Depends on how much pizza you want to eat. But you don't have to be strong to do what is easy. This is just like, it seems like Haggai likes, likes the book of Joshua. Because we see this as well in the book of Joshua, do we not? What does God tell Joshua when he takes the reins from Moses? Be strong. The task that is in front of you is hard and difficult. You will get tired. You will get weary. All of these things are going to happen, but be strong in the midst of it. If the task were easy, God would not have to tell them to be strong. But it is a difficult task. It is a hard task. 
church, to be the church that God calls us to be, it is not easy. And it doesn't just happen by accident. There will be days we get tired. There will be days we get weary. What does God command us to do? To be strong. To be strong. But not only that. He says, work. Just love that. One word. One command. To work. Why? For I am with you. But God, the work is difficult. I get weary in the work. I get tired in the work. It seems like the work is more than I can manage. And in all of that, you are absolutely correct. Because by yourself, you can't do it. By myself, I can't be the pastor that God has called me to be. By yourself, you can't be the believer that God has called you to be. You do not have what it takes. But thankfully, he does not leave you alone. Thankfully, he doesn't say, if, you're, if you want to be the church that I've called you to be, if you want to be the church that impacts the community that I've placed you in, I'm with you. He does not leave us alone. So when we work, he's present. When we're weary, he is present. When we're tired, he is present. When it seems like there is too much to be done and not enough time to get it done, hear me, he's present. I am with you. So he tells them to be strong, to work. Notice what he says, verse 5. According to the covenant that I made with you, when you came out of Egypt. So he calls them back to his covenant that he made with them. This thing that identified them as Israelites, this thing that bound them together with God. He calls them back and says, look back to this. Remember the covenant that I made with you. Like you, you think that because you're here now, I'm just going to drop the ball? Like remember when I brought you out of Egypt? Did I drop the ball then? No. And so do you really think if I didn't drop the ball then, that I'm going to drop the ball now? No. It's just to look back to you to remember this covenant that he made when he brought them out of Egypt. Now as believers in Christ, we're under the new covenant. We're under the blood of the lamb. So as, as believers, we look back on that. And if God did not drop the ball, in saving you, 
What makes you and I think he's going to drop the ball in finishing what he started? In the life of a church, if God did not drop the ball in calling out his bride, what makes us think he's going to drop the ball now? <coughs> you see, this is why this is important. Because there, there are, I know it came off a little heavy on the good old days. But there are some benefits of the good old days. Because what does God call, tell them to do? To look back and to remember the covenant when, when he brought them out of Egypt. What's the benefit of the good old days? That we can look back and we can remember God's faithfulness and his provision back then, which does What? guides us and instructs us for his faithfulness and his provision today. That God was faithful then, he's going to be faithful now. But you see, here's where the danger comes in, is that we can't live there. We must live here. As a church, we wanna celebrate God's faithfulness. We want to celebrate God's provision. We want to celebrate the good things that God has done in the past. But we can't live there. Because if we're living there, we will miss God's faithfulness and provision here. Why? Because our eyes are constantly back there. And we're not looking here. It informs us, it encourages us but it's not where we live. It's not where we dwell. And just for Airline Baptist Church, we want to celebrate God's goodness. We want to celebrate his faithfulness and his provision in the past. Like next year is 150 years of Airline Baptist Church. That's worth celebrating. And we want to thank God for his goodness in that. Like Nelson was one of the ones who helped build the original church. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He came about five, ten years after it started. <laughs> but here's the reality, church. We can't live there. We can celebrate. And we've seen that God is faithful and God provides in those 150 years. And that informs us that if the Lord does not return, if we do what we are called to do, God will be faithful and provide for 150 more years. And that's what we work towards. That's where we want to go. And in 150 years, I can guarantee you this, I will not be the pastor of Airline Baptist Church. I won't. But this is something that, I, church, just that personally I've been wrestling with. What type of church do we want to pass on to the next generation? What type of body of believers do we want to pass on to our children and our grandchildren? That's the church I want to see us be. That we're informed and we're encouraged 
that we can look back and say God provides, God is faithful, and he's going to do it again. Not because of us, but because of him and who he is. That God has not dropped the ball and he will not drop the ball. So he says, according to the covenant I made when you came out of Egypt, he says, my spirit remains in your midst. Love that word, remains. God has not withdrawn his spirit. It says it remains. So really, what is he telling the Israelites? That you remember the same power that I demonstrated when I brought you out of Egypt. Like you remember all that, right? <coughs> like you remember the plagues, right? You remember when you walked on dry ground through the Red Sea. You remember that, right? That same power is still present. And what does Paul, fast forward to the New Testament, what does Paul tell us? That the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave lives in you today. Like the same spirit that looked at a dead Jesus in the tomb and says, it's the third day, let's get him up. Like, tell me, what problem can you face that's a bigger problem than a dead Jesus? And the same spirit lives in you. Tell me, what problem can we face as a church that's a bigger problem than a dead Jesus? And the same spirit lives in us today. My spirit remains in your midst. The same spirit that worked throughout the history of Airline Baptist Church is at work today. The same spirit that worked through the history of Airline Baptist Church is the same spirit that's at work today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year. The same spirit. So it says, my spirit remains in your midst. Then notice this last little phrase, Fear not. Just like with be strong, God was well aware they were going to get tired, they were going to get weary, and they needed strength. But in the same way, God is well aware there's going to be things that pop up that's going to cause them to fear. There's going to be things that pop up that cause them to doubt and to worry and to things that will pop up that make them go, this is a pretty big deal, that this is, a, this is a bigger deal than God. And that the size of those problems will become so great in their sight that it will eclipse the size of their God. So what does he tell them? To fear not. There's going to be difficulties that come up. There's going to be problems that arise. But fear not. Why? I'm with you. That both of those things are the bookends of that center phrase, I'm with you. <clears throat> How do we be strong? Understanding the presence of God. How do we deal with fear, doubt, anxiety, worry? 
the presence of God, that I'm with you. <coughs> I'm present. That's how we deal with fear. That's how we deal with worry. That's how we deal with anxiety, that knowing God is present. So we see the problem of the present, and then we move to the provision of the present, but then lastly, we see the, <coughs> excuse me, the promise for the future. Verse 6. Whitney, can I have a sip of your coffee? <coughs> Throat's getting a little dry up here. We see the promise for the future. Thank you, my lovely assistant. Going to verse 6. It says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. What is God doing? It's an act of divine intervention. It's God interacting with his own creation. It's God going after a little while, I'm going to shake things up. And it's going to be evident that it's me doing the action. And I love this because what do we need in the life of the church? We need divine intervention. We need God to step onto the scene where we sit there and go, that was God. Where we step back and go, Man, I, I, I love Pastor Zach, but there's no way he did that. I, I love Pastor Mike. He couldn't pull that off. I love Pastor Taylor. And I know for certain he didn't do that. Love Pastor Clint. He might not. There's no way he pulled that off. Then all of us sit back and go, that was God. How do we impact the community that surround us? By God acting. How do we be the church that God's called us to be? By God acting. God's going, I'm going to step in. I'm going to shake things up. Why? So that there's no doubt in who did it. See, here's... Here's one of my greatest concerns as a pastor is that it is so easy to plan and program God out of things. It is. And I, and I believe in planning ahead and I believe in calendaring things and I believe in all of that stuff. But it's so easy for us to think I've got this thing figured out. And we may not outwardly say it, but really what we do when we, when we plan everything and program everything to our own minds and our own abilities, what happens is we tell God, God, you can wait at the door. We've got this handled. We may not say it, but that's exactly how we're living. That's exactly how we're acting. And that what we need it's God to step in and do something that leaves us going, that was only God. 
That's God who is at work. So he tells them, I will shake the nation so that the treasures of the nation shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. I absolutely love this. Because surely the people as well were sitting there looking at it going, I don't know that we can build this temple back. Like God, when we first built this temple, like we were a national power. We had wealth, we had influence, we had resources to do all of this. And now we're just a remnant of people and we're, just, we're still even trying to build our own homes back. How are we supposed to rebuild the temple? And God's sitting there going, I'll take care of that. Trust me for my provision because the way that he will provide, notice this, I'm gonna shake the nations out of it. Even those nations that brought you into captivity, I'm going to provide the resources even out of those nations. He said, the gold's mine, the silver's mine, it's all mine anyways. And you think I can't provide for you? You think I'm going to look at you and go, I know, I know you want to worship me. I know, I know you want to rebuild the temple and you're just, you just don't have the finances or resources to do it. Maybe if you work a little bit harder and get a little more money, then you can rebuild the temple. Is God saying that? No. God's going, I'll provide. I'll provide the means for you to do this. So he says, he promises his divine provision. But then lastly, verse nine, he says, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Notice we begun this message at, at the very beginning in verse three. He says, you've, you've seen the former glory, right? And because you've seen the former glory of the temple, because you've seen the former glory of my house of worship, you've grown discouraged. Doubts began to set in. So what is he saying? You haven't seen anything yet. You've seen the former glory, and that's nothing compared to what I have in store. That the former glory was here, and the latter glory is here. You haven't seen anything yet. So don't grow discouraged in the midst of the process. Because I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm accomplishing here. It's easy to grow discouraged. It's easy to fear. But I'm working something. I'm doing something in your midst. So he says, the latter glory will be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And notice this last phrase. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, it's easy to read that and skip over that, but think about the context here you have a group of people 
who's just come out of exile. They've been under captive rule of Babylon and then Persia. They're coming back as essentially a, a, a puppet state of the Persians. They, they don't even have a king. They're not really a nation. They're a small remnant of what they used to be. There's political struggles going on all throughout the regions, all the areas surrounding them. And what does God promise them? I will give you peace. I'll give you peace. Why, when they restore their worship, there's peace. When they get their priorities right, there will be peace. Which is crazy to think about. Like, how does God put peace and be strong and fear not all in the same paragraph? Because the peace that God offers is not dependent upon our energy level. The peace that God offers is not dependent upon what is going on outside of us. The peace that God offers is rooted in him and in him alone. So why is worship so important? Because it's in the act of worship that we're reminded where our peace is found. That when we gather together for corporate worship or private worship, everything else may be swirling outside of us. Doubt and uncertainty may arise. Well, my peace isn't found there. My peace isn't found in anything external, but it's found in Christ. And every time we live in worship, whether it's singing a song or breaking open the word or fellowshipping with other believers, whatever we are doing as worship reminds us of the peace that can be found in Christ. That's why it's so important. That's why it's vital to us. That's in worship, we're reminded of who God is. And we're reminded that our joy is found in him. That's why it's vital. That's why it's important. So what does God tell the Israelites? That once your worship is restored, once the temple's restored, I'll give you peace. In the midst of everything that's going on, Peace can be found. So as we begin to wrap up this morning, we come to our central idea. And it's this, the task of rebuilding the temple requires God's God-given strength, courage, and anticipation of a greater reward. It requires God-given strength, courage, and anticipation of a greater reward. So this is what God tells the Israelites. As you're seeking to rebuild the temple, to be strong, fear not. 
and understand what I'm doing is greater now than it was in the good old days. So what does this mean for us as a church today? To be the church that God calls us to be, we have to find our strength in God, in God alone. It doesn't come from my own abilities. It doesn't come from my own strengths, my own willpower, my own intellect. My strength must be found in God. Your strength must be found in God. As a church body, our strength must be found in God. But not only that, our courage must be God-given as well. So make no mistakes. I wrote this down in my notes before this week. Difficulties will arise. <laughs> Here we are. Uh, we were joking. I said, this is going to be a great week of VBS, I can tell, because for everything that could happen this week has happened. Difficulties will arise. The life of a church, things happen. Things come up. Difficulties happen. And it can cause us to fear. It can cause us to worry. It can cause anxiety to rise. And just as God tells the Israelites, he tells us the same thing today. Fear not. Why? Because he's with us. Difficulties happen. But the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us today. This is just a side note. Do you think... that a leaking water pipe is a bigger deal than a dead Jesus? No. Do you think the struggles and things that happen in life are a bigger deal than a dead Jesus? No. And we need to be reminded of that. So we have God-given strength, God-given courage, but then lastly, an anticipation of a greater reward. As the band comes back to the stage, church, do we truly believe that the best days of airline are yet to come? We want to celebrate the past, but we want to live in the present and have a great expectation for the future. We don't live there. We live here and we celebrate God's goodness and it informs us here of what God has for us. See, as I shared last week, I told you I got a little bit ahead of myself last week. But it's a sad day in the life of a church when they believe their best days are behind them. It's a sad day in the life of a Christian when they believe their best days are behind them. It's a sad day. But when a church rallies together and says, our best days aren't back there, our best days are up here. 
That's a God-honoring church. When a believer says, my best days aren't back there, my best days are up here. It's a God-honoring believer. And so do we as a church believe our best days are to come or our best days were back there? It's a hard question. But I believe it's a question that we have to wrestle with. Because if we're going to make an impact on this community, if we're going to make disciples who make disciples, it doesn't come from living and celebrating in yesterday. It comes from living in today and going, God has big plans here and the days to come. So as we close, if you want to come pray, this altar's open. If you want to come pray with someone, I'll be standing here. Clint will be standing over to the side as well. But what if we just as a church rallied together and we prayed together and we said, God, we fully believe the best days are yet to come. We celebrate what you've done and they inform us that what you've done in the past, you can and will do again. What if that was our corporate prayer this morning? Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, help us as a church to have the mindset that we need your strength. We need your courage. God, we need a God-given and God-sized anticipation of a greater reward. So God, would you help us as a church to see your goodness, to see you step in and do something that only you can do and only you can be credited for. That God, we as a corporate body would say the best days are yet to come. Not because of a pastor, not because of a leader, but because of you and you only. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond today.
Amen. Again, thank you so much for being here today. If you're visiting with us, we'd love to connect with you in the back, give you a gift on your way out. Appreciate you being here. Um, if you have a prayer request or any type of need, please turn in one of those connection cards. If you're visiting with us, um, we'd love to connect with you on that connection card. And so you can drop those off on your way out. You can see a few things coming up in your bulletin. Um, of course, no Wednesday night activities this week or next week. And then the 28th, we'll have a family night over at Laurel Park. And so you can see that. Um, and then last thing before we leave, if you're volunteering with VBS, uh, we're going to have a quick meeting. And so right over there in, in that general area was where I was pointed. So right over there somewhere. Um, so just real quick, just a few minutes, just make sure everybody's on the same page as we kick off VBS tomorrow morning as well. Just kind of stay aware. We'll post some stuff on Facebook, try to get out as much information as we can for tonight. Um, and so just be on the lookout for anything that goes out in the next couple hours as we give you updates for tonight. All right, Mike, will you close us in prayer? God, we love you, and we thank you again for this wonderful day. God, thank you for the promises that we have that are true in our life. God, Jesus said, I'll be with you always, even unto the end. And we have, we have his promise for provision and guidance and care all through your word, Lord. And we've, we've learned to trust in it. We've learned to believe in it. So, God, I know that you're going to take care of every issue we may have. And, God, every prayer we lift up to you, we know you hear us. God, we pray that you answer it in accordance to your will in such a way that would that would God lift you up and again just to be that evidence to people that only God could do that there's no way we did that we're just not capable so God you you do what you only you can do in this place for your honor for your glory Lord thank you for this time together again thank you for this wonderful group of people God I do pray you'd be with us this week as we have Bible school God every teacher every worker every person who has a part in the in the work god give them strength and help them through the week god and every young person that comes through here lord i pray you'd you would just open up their little hearts and their minds to what you have in store for them as we learn about how jesus changes things <laughs> change the game lord we love you look forward to all you're going to do this week and god will be careful to give you the glory and the honor and say thank you for it all right now in jesus holy name amen